Uh, last week, um, Pastor Bob continued his teaching series called Caring. How many of you were here last Sunday? You know the last two Sundays, last Sunday and the Sunday before, were the highest attended consecutive services uh, probably in the last three years. So, way to go. And uh, we're down a little bit today, but that's, that's okay, I think, unless we've got 100 kids out in the, which we might. Uh, it's hard to say. Just listen. No. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, but thank you. I just appreciate your, your faithfulness and uh, supporting the vision of faith community. But uh, last Sunday, uh, Dad continued his teaching series that he's called Caring. And he, he was in part two last week, and he answered the question, does no one care? And he's saying in this series, this is the theme that I'm taking away from this series, that because God cares, we should give him our cares, and we should care about others. That's the underlying theme. We're hearing it uh, each part of the series. And uh, and like I said a couple weeks ago, since we like to keep you on your toes, a few weeks ago I launched a teaching series, so we have two different teaching series going on at the same time, okay? And if you've ever been a part of a church that has multiple teaching pastors, you know that most churches don't do this. Most churches get everybody on board and they teach the same thing, like, like pastor teaches, one pastor teaches part one, the next pastor teaches part two, and so on. We aren't that smart and we aren't that coordinated, and uh, actually we know, that, actually the truth is you are exceptional. You can handle it. We know we can, we can pile it up and, on you, and you can handle it. You can, you can sort through all the confusion, and you know what part I'm in today because you just follow these things. And, uh, so we're, we are in two different teaching series, and uh, it's a little bit uh, confusing, I know. But uh, just to mess things up, occasionally we'll even go, one of us will go back-to-back weeks, and then you don't know what's happening. So, so that's where we are. So a few weeks ago, I started this series uh, where we're talking about God's will. And because uh, for as long as I can remember, and I've, you know, I'm a churchy church person, and I grew up in a church nursery and Sunday school and all that, and as long as I can remember, God's will has been a topic of discussion among followers of Jesus and around the church, and literally thousands of books have been written on the topic of God's will. Remember I showed you that graphic, that screenshot of my Amazon search for God's will, and it was like 52,000 results. We start off asking the question, can we even know the will of God? Can we even know it? And if we can, how? So I went to great lengths in that opening message to illustrate my view that God's will works very little like a blueprint and much more like a game plan. So if you missed part one in this series, I would really encourage you to get that CD if they're still out there. You can get them online and on our podcast and listen to that opening, that part one of this series. We spent the whole morning laying the groundwork for the things we were talking about since then uh, just to make sure that we're talking about the same thing when we're talking about God's will. And we said that uh, we get a little more clarity when we approach God's will like a game plan rather than a blueprint. And how can we do that? And uh, we said first, as kind of in review, we said, obey what we know, then get the facts, think biblically, and master the basics. And uh, that we said that was kind of a good place to start. Then in part two, we said that generally the will of God can be found within three contexts. Do you remember this? The providential will of God, which I know is a word you don't use a lot probably, but the providential will of God. Those are the things that God is just going to do. He's going to do it anyway. Then the moral will of God. Those are the things that God has instructed us to do, that he wants all of us to do. And that somewhere in conjunction with the providential will of God and the moral will of God, we will find the personal will of God, his personal direction for our lives. 
we said that the more familiar you are with the providential will of God, what God's going to do anyway, and the more obedient you are to the moral will of God, what God wants all of us to do, the easier it will be for you to discover and discern the personal will of God for you. Got that? And as you study God's word, the more familiar you become with the providential will of God, the things that he's going to do anyway, things that, hey, he might want to involve you in. And the more obedient and surrendered you are to the moral will of God, those things that we already know that we're supposed to do, those standards that God has established for our families and our relationships and our interactions with other people and our private lives and our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions, then the easier it's going to be for us to determine and understand um, the personal will of God. Then a couple weeks ago, we said in part three, we said that one of the primary tools that God will use uh, is the counsel of other believers. And we talked about how to choose the right people, the right questions to ask, because um, some people in this room, some of you are brand new Christians. You're, you're just starting your spiritual journey. Maybe you're resuming your spiritual journey after some time away. And you're saying, look, I have to, I have to make a decision. I don't have time right now to, to learn all about the providential will of God, and I don't have time right now to figure out the moral will of God. I haven't been around long enough to figure all that out, but I need to know by like Tuesday, so help me out here. And we said that the fast track oftentimes is to ask God uh, to use someone in our lives to speak to us. You know when you really have your heart set on something, I mean, you just want it so bad, and it's amazing, it's just absolutely amazing where we see God and where we hear from God when we want something real badly. The truth is that many of us in this room have been guilty somewhere along the line of misusing Scripture and misunderstanding God's will so that our interpretation of it fits what we want. See the danger in that? There have been times when I've sat with people and I've listened to things that, that people are saying and I've, I've listened to Christians who are just sure that God wants them to marry this person or, or to divorce this person or to take this job or to make this purchase or to leave church A to go to church B. And they have these, these verses. And I want to just stop and say, you know, can you stop for a second? I, do you mind if I take some notes? Because this is going to make a great sermon illustration someday. So just keep going because I just can't believe what you're saying. This is so unbelievable. The thing is, we've all been there in some capacity. The thing is, like, we're sincere, you know, but we're very confused and we walk away sure that God wants us to do something, and oftentimes it ends up in disaster. So the other primary tool that God uses, we talked about the counsel of other people. The other primary tool that God uses to guide and direct us in our lives is His Word, the Bible. Do you have a Bible with you this morning? How many of you have a print Bible with you this morning? I'm just curious if, how, many brand, how many of you have a, a Bible on your, on your device right now? Let me see. So most of you are, have a Bible, have access to a Bible. Unfortunately... The Bible is so misused that sometimes there's a tendency to overlook it as a primary tool of discerning God's will. So I want to talk about that this morning, and I want to ask this question. How in the world does God speak to us through Scripture? How does He speak to us through Scripture? How are we to use the Scripture to determine and discern God's will for our lives? <clears throat> king David, who was the second king of Israel, he really understood this. He had a lot to say about it. If you read his words all through the Psalms, uh, in fact, let's throw this uh, verse up on the screen. I think I gave it to you, Corey. This is what David had to say about God's word in terms of it giving him direction. He said, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. 
In other words, David said, when I need counsel from God, I go to his word. And if, I, if we were to look at the Bible that David had, I mean, it was a lot less Bible than what we have. Uh, it was just a slice of what we have today. And yet David, through the law, through the teachings of Moses, he found comfort, he found counsel in God's word. So in the same way, we're to use God's word to find his will for our lives. Um, but how do you do that? Uh, first of all, the, the, the underlying premise here is you have to read the Bible. So I just want to encourage you uh, to be reading your Bible. If you use uh, an, uh, the Bible app or some kind of uh, something on your uh, Bible app of some kind, um, get into a reading plan. Start something small. Start with a 30-day plan, and then maybe try a 90-day plan, then try a one-year plan. And uh, how many of you have ever read the Bible from Genesis all the way through Revelation? You've read the whole thing. All right. Um, Okay, I'm just going to offer this challenge. We got, what, six Sundays to the end of the year? So starting in January, you could start now and get a head start on it. So if you started now and did a one-year Bible reading plan, you got a six-week grace period in there to get her done if you fall behind. One of the things I love about the Bible app is you set a reading plan, and it allows you to catch up. How many of you ever used the Catch Me Up feature in the Bible app? <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, I have to read 12 chapters today. Uh, yeah, but, um, but a, lot of, a lot of you, I know because I've heard your stories, have read more of the Bible because of the Bible app, because it's helped you um, with some accountability and uh, in that community that some of you have established through that. I just want to encourage you to read your Bible. And one way, as we read the Bible, one way to look at the Bible is to uh, find people who had parallel situations in, uh, to our own, okay? Um, and some people try to do that, you know, and, and I'm not necessarily saying you should do that. I'm just saying it is an approach, you know, because they're like, well, I'm in this situation. So maybe somebody in the Bible uh, faced the same situation. So I'll just do what they did. And, it's, and it's, it's, um, it, it can be helpful, but it's not always helpful. All right. So the difference in culture, first of all, makes it difficult. Uh, the different, difference in circumstances makes it really difficult. Um, I mean, God is probably not going to lead you, although maybe today, I don't know, but probably not going to lead you to build a boat and put a sampling of every species of animal on your boat. That probably doesn't parallel anything in your experience, right? You probably won't be in a situation where you need to gather all your friends and march around a city for seven days and hope that some buildings fall down. Uh, those stories are great, and there's some things there that they teach us about God and the way he relates to humanity and some things about his nature, and they're kind of motivating. Uh, but most of the circumstances that these biblical characters found themselves in are so different from ours that it's really difficult to find a parallel. In fact, um, most of the time, I would say it's not only difficult, but it's kind of dangerous, actually, to try to find a parallel. I think some of the biggest messes that, that uh, Christians get themselves in is they, they found this story, and they decided that God wanted them to mimic a Bible character in a particular situation. And, and my opinion is, is that God doesn't often do things the same way twice. Have you noticed that? I mean, you look around the room. Everybody in this room has a completely different story. There's not two of us with identical stories. There's not two of us with identical faces. Um, each face has its own story. I know you're all just looking at one face right now, and I'm sorry for that, but I'm looking at like 120 of you, so you all have different faces. Some are more different than others. But, I mean, there are... Uh, oh, sorry. I mean, speaking of different faces, there are like 600 kinds of beetles, which I think is it's pretty amazing. So God is a God of variety, okay? So... 
the odds of your situation paralleling the situation of someone in the Bible, and therefore you should do exactly as they did. Not the best way to use Scripture in order to determine God's will for your life in a particular situation. We've talked about God's moral uh, will. There are things in Scripture that address all of us, and that's helpful. But this morning, I want to take that a step further, okay? I want to go a level deeper and talk about how I think God would have us to use his word in helping us discern and discover his personal will for our lives. I want to put a verse of scripture on the screen that I think sets us up for this discussion. This is out of the book of Isaiah. And, and I want you to look at this verse and think about it as it relates to our decision making. And I think, it, I think uh, just to think about it as it relates to our thought processes when it comes to decision making, the options that you're considering as you face decisions that you've got to make. So here's what Isaiah wrote. And he's speaking on behalf of God. He's a prophet. He's speaking on behalf of God, and he says this, God's words. My thoughts are not your thoughts. In other words, God's saying, hey, we don't think alike. We don't think alike about anything. This is in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. In other words, the way that you would normally do something is not the way I would normally do it. The way that you would normally respond to a set of circumstances is not the way I would normally respond to those circumstances. The way that you would normally respond in your finances and in your family and in your relationships, not the way I would normally respond. What comes very naturally to you, he says, and what seems very logical to you is not my way at all. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher uh, than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is saying to us, before uh, you start making decisions, before you start asking questions, you know, God, what is your will for me in this? We need to know right up front, we don't think like God thinks. And God doesn't think like we think. We don't act alike. So the implication for us is this, is that in making decisions, what is naturally intuitive to us could actually lead us astray. Situations where we're using our reasoning skills, and oftentimes when it comes to discerning God's will, you know, our logic from God's perspective may be illogical. When we're trying to make a decision, especially when it comes to things like relationships, which are so foggy, right? Or, or it comes to maybe our, you know, our heart is leaning one way and it's telling us one direction, and it may very well be that that isn't God's direction that He would want us to take at all. We can't necessarily trust our hearts. We can't even trust our ability to reason most of the time. We certainly can't trust our own intuition when it comes to discovering God's will. And I would say in all those accounts, we come up short because God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Think about it this way. Whenever you're making a decision, there are three things that come to bear in the decision. One is the context in which you are making the decision. One is your perspective, and then the third is outcome. So we got context, perspective, and outcome. When it comes to decision-making, it's all about context, perspective, outcome. Here's what I mean. Every time we make a decision, we have some sort of context. And usually our context is limited to what we know. That's our context, what we've experienced. So right off the bat, uh, there's a limitation, right? In terms of perspective, our perspective is almost, on any decision that we're trying to make, is almost always impacted by our desires and our fears. And our desires, because we really want what we want. We really want something to happen. And our fears, because I don't know what will happen. Our desires and our fears always impact our perspective on every decision that we make. And in terms of outcomes, usually for us, it's just a guess. Well, I think if I do this, then this will happen. And I think if I do that, then that will happen but I don't really know. 
But what if you and I had the opportunity to have a context that's as big as all of human experience? What if we had a perspective that started in eternity past and extended all the way through this life into eternity in the future? What if we had the opportunity to peer into the mind of someone who knew the outcomes of every one of our decisions and our options and knew the outcomes of every decision that we would make? And if if we had the advantage of those three things, I think it would be very difficult then to make a wrong decision. So in the scriptures, what God has given us is a slice of his thinking. In the scriptures, God's given us a piece of his mind. And in doing so, here's what he's uh, said to us. That basically, I want to broaden your context. I want to add to your experience, the experience of hundreds and thousands of men and women who've come before me and knew me. I want to heal your perspective. I want to move you beyond where you are emotionally so, to where your perspective is where it needs to be in order to make the right decision. In terms of outcomes, I want you to learn to trust me because here, here in my word is page after page after page of what happens when men and women trust me and what happens when men and women don't trust me. And what God has invited us to do is to look into his thoughts, to look into his ways, to become so familiar with his thoughts and his ways that our thoughts start to become more like his thoughts. And our ways start to become more like his ways. And in doing so, we learn to discern God's will for our lives. There's a sense in which God, our Heavenly Father, has invited us into this discovery process. Because he's saying to us, I don't want this to be a mystery. Uh, we think it's elusive, and it, God doesn't want it to be that. And he's like, I don't, think, I don't want you to think you have to kind of get all alone and get real quiet, and God, you know, the next thing that pops into my head, that's what I'm going to do. And God's like, I don't want it to be that way. I don't want you to drive down the road. And we're like, well, those two letters on the license plate are my initials, and the next two numbers are the last two numbers of her phone number, so God wants me to call her. (laughs) I think God's saying to us through the gift of his word that, hey, I'm God. I created communication. I'm the greatest communicator in the universe. I'm giving you a heads up here. You don't have to, you know, sit around and wait on me, you know. No, here it is. Peer into my thoughts. Look into my ways. Look into my heart. Become familiar with my thoughts. Become familiar with the way that I do things. And the more familiar you become with my thoughts and my ways, the more that your thoughts and your ways mirror mine. Ever been in a situation where you had to make a decision and you think of someone that you have a lot of respect for and you think of someone who uh, maybe has been where you are and you respect the, the, the total package that is their lives, and you're like, what would so-and-so do in this situation? You ever been there? Sometimes it's like a light comes on, and you know exactly what they would do. And maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone, what would, what would, what would my father do? What would my grandfather do? What would, what would my grandmother do? And you ask the questions, and immediately you know what they would do because you know their ways. Some of us have taken our greatest cues in decision-making from people that we've known because we respect them and we love them and we know their ways. And God is saying to us, it can be the same for me. He's like, I, don't want, I, I want you to be able to say, not just because it's a, a, little, a, a saying that you can put on a wristband, but what would Jesus do? What would my Heavenly Father do? And then know the answer to that because you've become familiar with His thoughts and you've become familiar with His ways. So I think the Scripture is given to us for that primary purpose. Not simply to know God's moral will for our lives. That's important. We need to know that. Not simply to know His providential will, but it gets more personal than that. That our ways become like His ways and our thoughts become like His thoughts. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it in, uh, in the New Testament in Romans 12. 
He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, and you could write in, and only then, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that little phrase, test and approve, is really one Greek word, and it means to sort out, to discern. The Apostle Paul says, if you'll begin to renew your mind, you'll be able to discern. You'll be able to figure it out. You'll be able to run through the options and and come up with the answer. And you'll be able to discern and discover what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. And once again, in the New Testament, we're reminded that God has put the ball in our court. We have the opportunity, we have the honor, we have the privilege to renew our minds and to renew our thinking so that we think more like God thinks and we see more as God sees and we see from God's perspective and then it appears, then it becomes easier to to know what to do in accordance with His will. And it's not about some mystical experience. It's not about uh, sitting up all night alone in the dark. It's not about getting real quiet. It's not about coming forward at an altar and having some religious experience. It's not about finding some obscure verse in Ezekiel that you'd never seen before. Our Heavenly Father says, I've given you my word that you, so that you will think more like I think, so you can begin to understand as I understand, so you can see things from my perspective, because my ways are higher than your ways. I think it's true that we know that. I thought of a couple ways that God's ways are higher than our ways, um, and His thoughts are higher than uh, our thoughts. One is relationships. We just want to have that broad category of relationships. Isn't it strange? If you do what uh, you intuitively think is the right thing to do... Um, then you look at Scripture, how many times that God would have had you go in the opposite direction? In fact, maybe the reason you're struggling in some relationships is because you're going with what is intuitive, what's logical, what maybe, or what your heart is telling you. And God's going, no, 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 over here, this way, this way, back up, back up. Go, I want you to take a turn here. You're like, well, God, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I, for this relationship, no, 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 no. Well, of course it doesn't make any sense to you because my ways aren't your ways and my thoughts aren't your thoughts. But I'm God. I created this thing. Trust me for the outcome. Relationships. How about finances? Man, look what we do. Look what we do intuitively with our finances. And then we read what the Scripture says. And we're like, oh. <laughs> you know, there's such a challenge there. But of course... Of course, there's a challenge because his ways aren't our ways and his thoughts aren't our thoughts. Or what about our health? What about like our physical health and the way we view this physical life and our, and our bodies and our health and all these sorts of things, or even our mental and our emotional health? We tend to compartmentalize and we you know, set issues like mental and emotional health on a shelf somewhere that we hopefully don't have to deal with and we don't have to talk about with anybody. We just sing some songs and all feel better. Listen, the way that we, we view all this is so sometimes diametrically opposed to what God says. In fact, um, in our experience, if we don't have any relationship problems, if you don't have any financial problems, if you don't have any health problems, then, you know, in our thinking, we don't have any problems because those are the big ones. I mean, if you can eliminate your relationship problems and you can eliminate your money problems and you can, take, you can eliminate your health problems, I mean, everything else is like somebody squeezed the toothpaste in the middle. I mean, you can deal with that. Like, you know, I can figure this out, but those are the big three. And in those three areas, our tendency is to go with what's intuitive and to go with what's logical and sometimes to go with where our heart takes us. And, to, and, and oftentimes that's disastrous and it's not at all where God's leading us. Because we, we treat relationships as a means to our end. We, we see our money as our money. We live our physical lives as if, you know, you know whatever. 
And no wonder we get ourselves in such messes sometimes when it comes to decision-making because in every way, and especially in those three, the big three, uh, his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. So when we start to ask the question, we really start to honestly ask the question, God, what is your will for my life? We've got to create this category of the unknown. Because so, we come to God and we're like, God, I have these, I see these three options. I see these. They're, I got like three options here. But my ways aren't your ways and my thoughts aren't your thoughts. And I, and I realize maybe there's a fourth way. Or God, I see two ways. One spells success, looks like it, and the other spells disaster, I'm pretty sure. It just seems to me that to choose the, the option that leads to success would be the way to go. But maybe God, from your perspective, they're turned around. So give me your, your, your perspective on this. And in our praying and in our thinking, we've got to begin the decision-making process with this kind of presupposition that my ways are not his ways and my thoughts are not his thoughts. I think we need to approach it. Dear God, please, through your word, show me your ways. Teach me your thoughts. I want to know you. I want to learn to anticipate what you would have me to do to learn to sort out and discern your will for my life. So specifically... Here's what I think we need to look for. I want to try to make this as practical as I can. As you read your Bible, so that's, that's the precursor to this. As you read your Bible, you've got to move beyond the way maybe that you normally read the Bible. Some of us read the Bible in a, in a touchy-feely kind of way. You know, it's like, oh, I like that. Oh, and I think sometimes the social media component of things like the Bible app maybe leads to that, and we feel like we've got to share something every morning that gave us warm fuzzies. Um, but some of us approach our Bible reading like that. Some of us have been taught to read the, to read the Bible looking for promises. You ever have anybody tell you that? Just, just keep track of all God's promises. There are like 30,000 of them, but that's not even possible because there aren't that many verses in the Bible. So that was a number someone pulled out of the sky. Um, but it's like, oh, I got one, I got one, I got a promise, I got a promise. Here's one, I put it on my index card and put it in my thing so I can pull it out in the day that I need it. Uh, I think sometimes it's like, hey, God, I bet you didn't know you had to do that for me. <laughs> we should... I don't know if you've ever approached your Bible reading that way, but uh, sometimes we read the Bible looking for leverage to get God to move in our direction. Here's a much better thing to look for. I want to challenge you as you read your Bibles to look for principles. Look for principles. You know what a principle is? A principle is an unchangeable truth. A principle is the way that God operates. A principle is a way that God has put things together. A principle is a timeless truth. There are a couple of things about timeless truths. Sometimes they describe a cause and effect relationship. Sometimes. And other times they predict the outcome of some actions and attitudes. And throughout the Bible there are these statements, these principles that describe cause and effect relationship between two things. And other times they're just simply predicting the outcome of some actions. And we have to use a lot of discernment in that. The difference between a principle and a command is that a command says, do this. A principle says, let me tell you what happens if you do. Let me show you what will happen if you don't. You can break commandments and you can disobey commands, but if you don't, uh, but you don't disobey a principle because a principle is in effect at all times. It's like the law of gravity, okay? It's a principle. Gravity works whether you believe in it or not. If you quit believing in gravity, if, you, if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know, this whole law of gravity thing, I think that some dude made that up somewhere. It doesn't matter. You're still under the effects of gravity, whether you believe in it or not. Nothing happens to gravity. It's still an effect. It's just the way the world works. In the same way, God has given us in his word the way things work. 
the way he's established the world to work relationally, financially, in every category of life. So consequently, the challenge for us as we open the scripture is to say like David did in Psalm 25, God, I want to know your ways. I want to know your ways. Show me, help me discover, help me root out the principles, the way that you have put this world together so I can begin to think more like you think, see things more like you see things. That's, that's what a principle does. Let me give you a few examples of what I mean by this, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Because you find principles in different uh, ways as you read the scripture. So some principles are stated, all right? Let me read you a couple of examples, and you've heard some of these or all these. Here's, here's an example of a stated principle. This is in Galatians 6, 7. It says, you sow what you reap. That's just out there. That's just, here it is. Write this down, you know? In other words, whatever you put into something, you can expect to get the same thing out of it. And maybe because you're, uh, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're not a religious person at all, you're here because someone invited you to lunch afterwards, that's cool. But in your response to this principle is, well, I knew that. You know, whether that's true, whether it's in the Bible or not, you know, you're, of course you're going to reap what you sow. That's a universal, universal principle. Everybody knows that. Here's a question for you. Where do you think that came from? I mean, why is that true? Why is that an, an indisputable law? I would say that it came from God. That God set that in motion. What you put in effect, uh, what you put in affects what you get as a result. Here's, a, here's another stated, stated principle. Uh, this is in the book of Proverbs in chapter 13, verse 20. It says, this is one of, my, one of my favorites, and I've leaned on this a lot over the years. It says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, and the companion of fools suffers harm. There's a principle. The people that you spend the majority of your time with will impact you. And if you want to change your life, you may need to change the people that you spend the majority of your time with. And I don't mean try to change them as people. I mean time to change the nature of that relationship. It might be time for you to back out a little bit and pursue some other relationships because it's just a principle. God made us to function according to that kind of law. Sometimes principles aren't stated. Sometimes they're just implied. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, the principle of unconditional love. There's no statement in the Bible that says, here's the principle of unconditional love. But as you read the scriptures, uh, clearly there's a principle there, and the principle is that unconditional love is the most powerful force in the human soul, that nothing leverages change at the level of unconditional love. That's where, that when there's, when there's hurt and where there's rejection and where there's sorrow, that massive doses of unconditional love have the power to change and reshape the human soul. It's just the truth. Uh, whether you're talking about Luke 15 or Romans 5, it's not stated, but it's implied. And people come into your life and into your small group or into your church, and they've got prodigal children, and they're at a loss, and they're hurting, and they're looking for solutions. You know, what do we do about this? Well, well the question I want to ask is, do you want, their, you want their bodies to come home, or do you want their hearts to come home? And usually the answer is, well, I, really, I really just want their hearts to come home. Well, there's only one solution to that. It's unconditional love. It's a principle. It's the way God made us work. And you can do some things to manipulate getting their bodies to come home, okay? There can be a, a new car with a big red bow on it, and they're said, here's the keys, kid, come home. Um, or if you want your heart, their hearts to come home, though, this is how God's put it in motion. There's no escaping it. It's just a principle, this unconditional love thing. Um, it's really how God captured us when you think about it. That's what Paul said in Romans 5. Oh, well, we're far from God, living in the darkness, full of sin, that God loved us. That's what drew us to him. If God's goal for us was just not to do bad things, there are some practical things that he could have put in motion to keep us from doing bad things, right? He could have gotten our actions, our behaviors, our externals all lined up in accordance with his will, but he knew that that's not how you capture the human heart. It's through unconditional love. It's a principle. 
Um, how about the principle of purity? It, it's nowhere stated word for word in Scripture, but it's clearly implied that the principle of purity, this principle that, uh, that purity now leads to intimacy later, that if you're pure in the front end of a relationship, then you have greater capacity for intimacy later on. And if you're impure in the front end of your relationship, then later on down the road, you're going to suffer in some areas of intimacy. I, it, it, I guarantee it because it's a principle of Scripture. Uh, you don't have to believe it. Uh, but it's just the way God designed it. These are the ways of God. They're right, they're right here. It's the mind of God. Sometimes they're stated. Sometimes they're implied. Sometimes these principles are illustrated for us through narratives. Uh, for, it's why we have so many stories in the Bible. And I think when we sit down and we teach our kids Bible stories, we don't get into the principle. We're kind of missing the point. Here's an example. There's a principle that's illustrated in the Garden of Eden, the very first story in the Bible. <clears throat> it's the principle of freedom. And the principle goes like this, that maximum freedom is found under God's authority. That if you want maximum freedom that you can experience in this life, you stay under God's authority. The moment you move out from underneath God's authority, in that moment, you begin losing freedom. My intuition, my logic says, no, if I want to have freedom, I get out from underneath authority. And God would say, well, that's because your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. Maximum freedom is found under the authority of our creator. And this is what's amazing to me, that this book is just jammed full of principles. And if you started writing these down, um, as you came across them in your Bible reading, uh, you'd have quite a collection. And the more familiar we become with the principles of God's Word, the easier it is to discern and discover God's personal will for our lives. Here's why I wanted to spend a whole morning of uh, my time here talking about this one idea. Because listen, every single decision that you make, every single decision that comes across your life, every single decision you make in some capacity is going to intersect with a principle in this book. No matter at what level, whether you're talking about a decision in a relationship, in your marriage, with your kids, in your job, in your finances, whatever, when you make a decision, it's going to intersect with the principle of God's Word. And the more familiar you are with the ways and thoughts of God, the easier it is to discern the will of God when it comes down to making a decision. So it might mean that we've got to read the Scripture differently than the way we've been reading it. Quit just looking for promises. Quit looking for uh, warm fuzzy. Quit looking for the silver bullet. Quit looking for pull quotes that you can share on Facebook and begin looking for principles. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, and uh, I love this story. I've spoken from this passage before, and uh, I think I love this story because I think I'm a middle schooler at heart. Um, it's in 1 Samuel 24. It's the story of uh, when David was being chased by Saul. Maybe you remember this story from Sunday school, depending on how edgy your Sunday school was, because there's no flannel graph for this story. <laughs> David had already been anointed as the next king of Israel. Saul was the present king. So Saul wanted to kill David, naturally, because <laughs> he didn't want David to become king. He wanted his son, Jonathan, to become king. So there's this tension, and David and his men have fled from Saul. He's already got a loyal group of followers. And they're in the desert, and they're hiding from Saul. And Saul is looking for him everywhere, and his objective is to kill David. That's what he's out there for. And the story goes along, and David and his men are, are out ahead of Saul, and they come to these mountains where there are all these caves. And so they decide to hide in the caves in these mountains with the hopes that Saul and his men will pass through, and then they'll be behind Saul, and they'll have the advantage, and they can escape. just so happens that while they're hiding in these caves, Saul has to go to the 
What? Bathroom, exactly. Like, in the Bible, really? I should read your Bible. I told you, I'm a middle schooler at heart. Uh, he has to go to the bathroom. So when the king has to go to the bathroom, the entire motorcade stops, right? Everybody stops. So they stop, and Saul, imagine this, Saul gets off his horse or out of his chariot or whatever he's in, and he thinks, I'll just pull over here and I'll run up into one of these caves and go to the bathroom. It was like, the, it was like a precursor to the uh, interstate rest area thing. So he takes off up there. And out of, out of all of the hundreds of caves in these mountains, which one does he pick? He picks the same cave where David is hiding. So he goes, I just love this story. So he goes in there, and David and his men are hiding in the darkness. They've been in there for a while. And you know what happens when you've been in the dark for a while, right? Your eyes begin to adjust. And the longer you're there, the more that you can see. When you couldn't see it before, now you're starting to see it. And they're hiding back in the shadows, and their eyes have completely adjusted. Um, they know exactly who it is. But Saul can't see them. And David's men turn to David, and they're like, this is the day the Lord has made. I mean, he has brought your enemy, and not only has he brought your enemy to you, he is in like the most vulnerable position you could imagine. I mean, David, if ever God is in it and he's made his will clear, this is it, David, this is the day. What are the chances that we would happen to be hiding in this cave? What are the chances that he would have to go to the bathroom at this particular moment? And what are the chances that he would pick this cave? What are the chances that we'd be here in the darkness and with you? Come on, David, if ever God lined up all the circumstances, and shown you his will. This is it. It is today. Think about this with me because this is where we live. His emotions said, kill Saul. The circumstances said, kill Saul. The people all around him said, kill Saul. But David was a man who had learned to look to God's word as his counsel, and he knew that there was a principle. And the principle is this, that you dare not replace what God has put in place. That was the principle from God's word. It's a principle. No matter what, everything else is screaming. You dare not replace what God's put in place. You just don't do that. When God's ready to replace, he knows how to replace. It's not my job. I dare not do that. So David turned to his men, and he said, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. Yes, the the, the circumstances are screaming, kill the king. And my counselors, who I respect, are saying, kill the king. I mean, how could you even question whether this is God's will, except for this one thing, this is not God's way. And he let King Saul pass. And there's a little twist in the story. You've got to read it in 1 Samuel 24 if you want the whole deal. And you know what? When God was ready... He replaced what he put in place. It's the power of principle. You know what principle does? It allows us to see through the fog. Because in decision-making, there's always a fog of emotion. There's a fog of circumstances. There's a fog of some bad advice somewhere. There's a fog of past experience. There's There's a fog of our inability to predict the outcome. And principle allows us to see through our little narrow context. It's limited to my experience and my knowledge. It allows us to see through our twisted perspective that's full of fear and desires. It allows us to clear away from all of that and to see clearly what God would have us do. That's the power of principle, of becoming familiar with the ways of God. And every day of our lives, we are 
making decisions that intersect with the principles and the ways of God. And the wisest thing that we can do in terms of discerning God's will is to immerse ourselves in His Word. I love discovering principles that maybe I've never seen before. I love talking about those principles with people. And let me tell you why this is so important, why you need to be involved in this process yourself. Because the process of discovering God's principles is just as valuable as the principles themselves. And I tell you, my, my prayer for you, my, especially those of you who are leaders, you're people of influence, you're leaders in the church, you're leaders in groups of people, you're leaders in the community, you're leaders in your homes, you're leaders in your jobs, you're influencers. My prayer for you as well as for those of you who are just getting started, for those of you who are brand new followers of Jesus, you've just taken the cellophane off your new Bible, you know? And for those of you who are just now getting serious about becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ, I'm just pleading with all of you. First of all, would you spend time in your Bible? And second of all, when you do, would you say, God, I want to see as you see. I want, I want your ways to become my ways. I, wanna, I want my thoughts to become like your thoughts. I want to move past just the moral will of God. I, I want to know you. God will honor that. But the ball's in your court because he's given us his thoughts written to carry with us and to pour into us everywhere we go. The Apostle Paul said that as we renew our minds, we gain a new ability to discern, to sort out the will of God for our lives. I love that we often talk about renewing our minds and we pull that, that phrase out of that verse in Romans 12 mm-hmm. and we've disconnected it from the process of knowing God's will. But that's exactly what Paul was talking about, that the purpose of renewing our minds is that we'll know what God wants us to do. Then King David wrote these words. We find them in Psalm 119. And uh, you want a good read about the role of Scripture in your life, you read Psalm 119. Then he said this in verse 105, it's very famous, and you probably have it written down somewhere on, on your wall or something. But it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And my prayer is that it would be a lamp for our feet for you personally, that his word would be a lamp for your feet and a light on your path. And I believe that happens when we immerse ourselves in God's words and say, God, help me to see as you see so that my thoughts become like your thoughts and my ways become like your ways. May it be true of us. Listen to this song.